Well, good morning, church. You heard me. Wonderful to be here this morning with you. Uh, Keith is away, and so I have the, the joy of bringing the word to us this morning as we watch the kids travel away. Hey, just want to tell you, we had a great start to Alpha last week. We had 121 at Alpha last week. So we are thanking God for that. Uh, a lot of first timers. It's not too late to invite folks to the Alpha course. So please take advantage of that. Well, as the kids' voices fade off into children's ministry, let's pray together. Lord, as the song says, great God of highest heaven, occupy our lowly hearts. Own every bit of us, reign supreme, conquer every rebel power. Father, we ask this morning that you would remove all impediments that would keep us from receiving what you have for us this morning. We're here for a reason, Father. We want to receive all you have. Spirit of God, fill us. Lord, each of us ask you that right now. Fill us, correct us, encourage us. So that when we leave here this morning, we will know more fully who you have made us and do more fully as you have ordained us to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> it was a cool mid-March Wednesday evening in 1976 as I got into the car of a fraternity brother of mine, uh, Jay Leger. Uh, we were leaving the Deke house. Yes, I was a Deke. Uh, where I was living as a sophomore at LSU. Little did I know that it would be my last day as a son of Adam. As we drove to Baker, Louisiana, the location of Bethany Baptist Church, I had no idea the fate that I was about to meet or my impending death. I remember that we sat in the middle section of a packed out church, hundreds of people with this world famous teacher that I had never heard of. As I walked to that church building, it wasn't at all like the church buildings I, I was familiar with. There was, there was no stained glass. There was no uh, statues. There was no ornamentation. Uh, there was no kneeling. There were no bowls of water. It was just this simple building. It was different, it was strangely different. I don't remember much about the service at all other than the preacher talking about faith and the power of the Holy Ghost. I didn't know about either one of those things. People were clapping, clapping, they laughed, they were mesmerized by this guy. And uh, at the end of the service, he asked, who wants to receive the power of the Holy Ghost? And my hand goes up. And I'm looking at my hand saying, whose hand is that? How did that get there? It's as if somebody pulled my hand up almost voluntarily. Next thing I knew, um, that wasn't enough. Some of you know what was coming next. They said, everyone who has your hand up, please make your way down to the front of the building to be prayed for. As I stood there with a bunch more people who had come down, I was hearing strange sounds all around me. These people must have been from another country because I didn't understand a word they were saying. Next thing I know, 
they're falling down around me. Not because of me, they were just falling all around. And like, what have I gotten into? I'm looking around for my fraternity brother. I don't see him. Have I just been pranked? I don't know what's happening here. Um, had he left me? Um, well, then a couple of young folks, maybe a little bit older than I, um, invited me to join them in a room alongside the auditorium. And I sat in this little school desk, very similar to the desks I've sat in in school. And uh, they asked me several questions, which I guess they didn't like the answers. And, and then they asked me the question, well, Frank, are you a Christian? And I shot back, Chris, of course I'm a Christian. I was offended. Well, next thing I recall, um, they were asking me if I'd like to pray a prayer with them to receive Christ. And I thought, well, sure. And I really don't remember the prayer. I don't remember the drive home nor being peppered by tons of questions by my fraternity brother. But I know this, the next day I had to get my hands on a Bible and I had to begin to read it. I had woken up on that mid-March Wednesday morning dead in my sins but on that next thursday morning i awakened awakened alive in jesus christ a fraternity brother named jay from jesuit high school an alum of newman high school named john who had walked with me as a member of the delta Kappa epsilon fraternity as brothers in christ and two from bethany Baptist Church in Baker, Louisiana, who I will never meet this side of heaven. For all I know, they may have already been, already been in heaven. They teamed together by the, by the providence of God to unwittingly lead this dead in his sins, 19 year old to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Amen. Fast forward, for, <laughs> fast forward 42 years. It's May 2018, in just a few days, June 3rd, 2018, you would receive me as an ordained elder pastor here at Lakeview Christian Center. Prior to that, <laughs> I, called, I called Jay Leger and I called John Rice just to thank them, tell them of my impending ordination. John came, Jay lives in Orlando. I also drove to Baton Rouge to have breakfast with the first man who discipled me. I did that because these three, because I wanted to thank these three personally for not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and loving me into the arms of the all too willing to save me, Savior. I will be forever grateful for their love for me and the testimony of Jesus they were to me. I am not standing here today if not for the Holy Spirit working through them to participate in God's raising of this dead man to life. And you know, each and every one of us has the same but different story. We have the different but same story. We once were lost, we were blind, we were dead in our sins, correct? Heading to an everlasting hell that we deserved. But now, by his grace, by his doing, by his coming to get us and rescue us, all of that in spite of us, we who were far away are now totally forgiven, totally accepted, 
totally holy and blameless in his sight as sons and daughters of our ever faithful, ever loving, ever living heavenly father. The two most important days in history for us, for every one of us, the two most important days in history is one, the day Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And secondly, the second day is the day the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit raised us from the dead. Amen? So could we do something right now? Maybe a little awkward for some of us, but quite appropriate. I know this is not typical Lakeview. But would you stand with me right now? Would you just stand with me right now? And could we lift our hands? Stand up. Come on. Stand up with me right now. Could we lift our hands and our voices to thank God for what he did, all that he did in raising each of us from the dead? This should be big, folks. Let's thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me, God. Thank you for being raised from the dead. Lord, what a day that was. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Let's worship him. What a happy day. Happy day. You have rescued me. Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. He's alive and oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same.
Halleluja. Halleluja. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Whew. Forever changed. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Let's close in prayer. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. What? Wow. Two most important days. The day Jesus rose and the day he raised us. Ah, well, we are in John chapter 15 again as we just continue in our discipleship manual. John 15, 8 through 12. By this, my father is glorified. Again, my problem with reading the scripture is that as I read it, I'm not listening to what I'm reading. Maybe that's your problem as well. Let's let's not let that be our problem today. By this, my father is glorified. We should immediately right now be going, okay, wait, what's the this by which my father is glorified? Well, here it is. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Why, Lord? Why are you telling me this stuff? I'm telling you this so that my joy may be in you. And your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. As the Father, Jesus says, has loved me, so I love you. That sounds like a similar passage. As the Father sent me, so send I you. And three times we have the word commandment here in this passage of Scripture, in these five verses He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he says, this is my commandment. Okay, if the God of all the universe says to the church, this is my commandment. Are we listening? Should we be listening? Here it is. This is the hardest thing I can possibly ask you to do. I can't ask you to do anything more difficult than this. Love one another. But it doesn't stop there. Because I have my definition of love and you have your definition of love. But that is not God's definition of love. He says, love one another as I have loved you. You ready for that? We up for that? I don't think so. Jesus always does this. He always says something and then he makes it impossible for us to do. I don't like that kind of teacher. See, I can't do that. The only way I can love Jesus as he loves is to abide in him. Is to understand that kind of love is not naturally in me, but that kind of love is the love of the son of God who is in me by the Holy Spirit. Abiding is essential. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here's a book I'm going to recommend to you. Abide in Christ. It's a great book. I'm going to read to you just briefly from this. Not not up on the screen. This is going to really mess with my time this morning, but I've got to read this to you. 
Andrew Murray writes, let me in this parable's beautiful light study the wondrous union between Jesus and his people until it becomes to me the guide into full communion with my beloved Lord. Let me listen and believe until my whole being cries out, Jesus is indeed to me the true vine, bearing me, nourishing me, supplying me, using me, and filling me to the full to make me bring forth fruit abundantly. Then I shall not fear to say, I am indeed a branch to Jesus, the true vine, abiding in him, resting on him, waiting for him, serving him, and living only that through me too, he may show forth the riches of his grace and give his fruit to a perishing world. That beautiful? That's what abiding does. We are the branch of the vine and the life of in us is the life that comes from the vine. The only life, church, that comes into the branch, into you and me, is the life of the vine, that sap flowing through us so that we would bear much fruit. We don't produce the fruit. You do understand that, don't you? Jesus Christ, through his life in us, coursing through us, bears the fruit. What do we do? We rest. We trust. We abide. We surrender. We believe. That's what we do. So what did Jesus say that surrender looks like? Well, the Matthew, Matthew's gospel, the 20th chapter, Jesus says this, Jesus called the disciples and said to him, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their, their great ones exercise authority over them. Okay. Stop for a minute. Look at me. The, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Here are the rulers of the Gentiles. Here are the little puny peons. These are the, the servants. These are the regular people and their great ones also exercise authority over them. What does he say about his disciples? It shall not be among you. It will not be that way among you. As you, as I'm gone and I give you my spirit, it will not be that way. Leadership will not look like that for you. You'll have abiding leadership. But whoever shall be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If you want to know that you're living an abiding life, your life, if I want to know that I'm living an abiding life, your life is not going to look like I'm here and you're here. Your life is going to look like you're here and I'm here. The abiding life of Jesus Christ looks like serving because it's surrendered to the sap of the vine coming through my life, our lives, and producing fruit. It's a life of service. It's my commandment as you love one another as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? To the uttermost. That he said there's no greater love than this that one laid down his life for his friends. God's purposes are to reveal his Glory to a lost and hopeless world. God's purposes are to, hear this for the first time, God's purposes are to reveal his glory to a lost and dying world 
through us, through every one of us. He wants to show how great he is. He want, well, what does God's glory look like as it's revealed through me? Well, I think we get a picture of this way back in Exodus chapter 34. Remember Moses said, God, show me your glory. God says, I can't show you my glory and you live fully. So he hides him in the cleft of the rock. We all know this story. He hides him in the cleft of the rock. And as he passes by, God speaks his glory to Moses. He speaks his glory to Moses. And he says, this is who I am, the Lord The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And the verse seven says, keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquities. See, the glory of God, church, to us That transforming power that comes to us looks like compassion and graciousness and slowness to anger and abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness and forgiveness. It looks like the life of Jesus, the ultimate servant who now lives in us by the Holy Spirit. That's what God's glory looks like and is to look like through us. As Jesus is about to go to the cross, it's his last night on earth, he's interacting with his father. We call it Jesus' high priestly prayer. In John chapter 17, this is what Jesus proclaims to his father. The glory, don't forget, let's not forget the word glory, that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Let me stop for a second. What makes us perfectly one? That we, that we agree with one another all the time? That we don't ever have spats? Does that make us perfectly one? What makes us perfectly one, church? The perfect one makes us perfectly one because his life is in you and that same life that's in you is in me and Jesus is not divided within himself. So whether there are many denominations, it doesn't really matter. Whether there are disagreements, it doesn't matter. We do everything we can to preserve the oneness that Jesus Christ created, even in the midst of our disagreements. So he says that they may become perfectly one. Why? Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. He makes us perfectly one. He says so that those who are still without Christ may know that Jesus Christ was sent to save us and that he loved them even as God the Father loved Jesus. Folks, that's not possible. That love is not possible without you and me abiding, knowing what it means to be surrendered to the power and the life of the vine coursing its way through me and you, the branch. In your notes, I wrote this. God has dispensed his glory into us by the Holy Spirit so that a lost and dying world sees that glory in his sons and daughters. When the church believes we are the light of the world, that we are, 
And when the church receives the fragrance of Christ that we have, then the glory of God is seen. Then the compassion of God, the graciousness of God, the slowness to anger of God, the abounding loving kindness of God, the faithfulness of God oozes through we who are the branches. The fragrance, the light. We walk out who we are. Many will be saved. Our Lord will be pleased for we will have shared in his eternal joy, which he longs for us to share in. That's God's definition of abiding. God loves for us to abide in him. To know him, to abide in him, is to share him. I, I share this in every Alpha training in the first week, but I'm going to share it with you guys too. I said, nobody can say, I haven't been given the ability to share the gospel. Well, that's not, that's not my gift. That's for somebody else. No church body can honestly say that either. If Christ is our life, and he is, and Christ is the head of the church... And he is the evangelist. Christ Jesus himself is living and moving and having his being through us. To not evangelize, to not share the gospel in whatever way that may be, is to not fully live. Not give Jesus nor ourselves the joy of giving his joy manifestly to us in our co-laboring with him in his winning the lost to himself. Because so, I think this is where we really get caught up with evangelism. We think we got to sell that. We got to sell it. We got we to gotta complete the deal. We got to close the deal. No, you do what God has called you to do. I do what God has called me to do within the power of the indwelling spirit abiding in him to invite a friend to coffee. Listen to the brokenhearted. Ah. Uh, Go to a ball game with someone, sitting next to someone as your kid is in dancing. That's what it looks like. We communicate the gospel, but the Holy Spirit convicts of the gospel. He saves them, not us. The pressure is on him. Now, I want us to look at uh, Isaiah 61 because this is such an exciting passage of scripture for us and we've it's interesting the scriptures come up lately in several times Isaiah 61 now I want you to do this I have a little blank for you there it says the spirit of the Lord is upon and then I put a blank there are you in Christ this morning how many of you here are in Christ born again Hallelujah. so the spirit of the Lord is upon whom it's upon you so write your name in there Nick Jack, J-A-C-K, Jack, by the way. Um, however, you, whatever your name is, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why is the Spirit of the Lord upon you? Why? Because he has, what? Anointed every one of us to just raise our hands, or if you didn't raise your hand, but you could have, to do what? Why has he anointed us? He's in us, and he's anointed us to do what? To bring good news to the poor. How many of us were poor without Christ? Poor, spiritually poor, dead, bankrupt. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. How many of you were captive? Captive in our sins, dominion of darkness. We were lost without Christ, without hope. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, joy instead of mourning, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. All of this is what happens as we abide in him. Church, we have been anointed by God to bring the most incredible, essential message the world has ever and will ever hear. We have been anointed to do that. Not Keith Collins, though he is, or Billy Graham, who he was, or any other big time evangelist, because God doesn't look here any differently than he looks with us who don't do this. But the same spirit of God who is in the teachers is the same spirit of God that is in each of us and anointed and gifted. However, God has called and gifted us to bring good news. And he has made us oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he would be glorified. Every aspect of our lives has a gospel sharing category. Every aspect of our lives. Are you in school? Are you playing baseball, soccer, any sport? Are you in dance? Are you in speech? Are you at work? Are you wherever you may be? God has strategically planted us as snipers <laughs> to pick off for himself those he is calling to himself you don't have the gifting and you don't have the talent that you have just for the sake that you can show off your gifting and your talent we appreciate that gifting and that talent and god has given it to us to enjoy and to benefit from but the major reason he has given you that gift and talent is so in the midst of enjoying god and thanking god for all that gifting that the fragrance of christ wafts from you to others the light that is Christ penetrates the darkness of others he hasn't put your son or your daughter on that athletic team just to win a stinking plastic trophy if they came in last place for heaven's sake it's so that God would be glorified in his life wafting from us in his life penetrating their darkness this is why the spirit of the lord is not upon us on sunday mornings alone spirit of the lord is upon us 24 7 365 so that god looks great all the time if god is good all the time then he wants to look good all the time through his church who he's in all the time we gotta see that and he wants us to because he wants our joy to be made full. That's why. That's why he wants our joy to be full. Because sharing the gospel isn't add, and is it adding something else to our busy plate. Oh, great. 
Now you're telling me I got to go do this too. No, we, I used to tell my kids this on, dad, do we have to do this? No, son, you get to do this. He hated that. Sharing the gospel isn't part of a Christian job description. Sharing the gospel is a part of a Christ-loving joy description. It's not a Christian job description. It's part of a Christ-loving, Christ-abiding-in joy description. It's our life. It's what flows out of abiding in the vine. And oh, what a privilege. Oh, what a joy. The path of the righteous, Psalm 16 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, is fullness, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God has made known to us the path of life. Well, who's the path of life? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, that Hebrew word could also be face. You make known to me you, Jesus, in your face, there is fullness of joy, okay? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, who's at the right hand of the Father? Jesus is the right hand of the Father. And who is in Jesus? Yeah, that would be us. And so at his right hand, the Son, are we, his sons and daughters, and Father finds so much pleasure. Because it is God's joy to continue the joyful life of Jesus Christ flowing through each and every one of us wherever we go. There is no greater privilege. There is no greater joy. And that's where the Savior derives utmost pleasure and delight and joy. He's made known his life to us. He's come near to us. So that fullness of joy would be ours and that joy would just cascade out of us. So that as we are at the right hand in Christ, others would be at the right, that would be over here, the right hand in Christ. Could there be anything more joyful than being a witness to one who's lost, being found, escaping hell, becoming one of God's pleasures? Not a chance. Let's look at heaven's joy for a minute. I just thought this was fun. Luke 15 um, a, a man has lost a sheep. He's got a hundred of them. Who cares? But he's lost one sheep. What does he do? He leaves the 99. He goes to those. He goes and does everything he can to find that one sheep. And Jesus says this. As he tells his neighbors to rejoice that the sheep's been found, he says, just so. Jesus says, uh, going away from the parable, he tells his disciples, just so. I tell you. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now we know all need repentance, but it's the one who's lost and knows they're lost and the Savior comes for them. Jesus says, do you want to know what heaven looks like when someone comes to Christ? We don't really get much of a clue in the scriptures as to what's going on in heaven right now. I mean, we get some ideas here, but it says there are angel joy parties every time someone is saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. The woman loses a coin. Big deal. She loses a coin. It must have been a big deal. She sweeps the house clean. 
She finds it. She tells all of her friends, I found my coin. Jesus says, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of watching someone be resurrected from the dead. I mean, spiritually. I don't know if any of you have participated in the birth of one of your children. Let me tell you, earth joy, as that little one comes out, oh my. Now, I don't know that the angels were rejoicing when my kids were born. I know my wife was rejoicing that the kid was no longer a part of her, but heaven rejoices. Can can we get that? Can that just not be some religious claptrap that we've heard a thousand times and understand what Jesus says? Jesus means always heaven rejoices. And if heaven rejoices, oh church, oh church, what must we do? Oh, what joy, what, what joy I would say we often forfeit, similar to the song. When we do not carry this word to the lost in prayer. I was going to tell you about a conversation Jonah and God had, but I don't have time. Um, But I want to share with you, I do want to share with you this. You guys know that um, before I I got a job in um, what I'm doing now, uh, I taught school for a year. And you know that I had the joy of meeting Keith and a bunch of... They let me have a Bible study. This private school, this is, again, 1979. They let me have a Bible study in the gym every day. Now, can you imagine that happening today? And all of a sudden, these kids start coming around. And they come over to my house. They go to this church with us. I mean, these are things that just could not happen today. But there were these two sisters that came to those Bible studies. And Annette and I have not had interaction with them in almost 40 years, 40 years. All of a sudden, December, right before Christmas, 2018, I get two postcards, two, two cards from these girls. And I'm going to read to you what these two girls that I have not seen since they were 17 and 15 years old, 39, 40 years later, wrote. Okay, that's a big time span. That's over a generation, I think. Dear Frank, you may not remember me, but I'm Patty Bricotta Bergeron. I was one of your students at Kehoe. My sister Mary was there also, along with a few of my brothers at one time. Anyways, I'm writing to tell you, you have been the most influential person in my life. Because of you, I became a Christian. And because of you, my children all know of the Lord. Yesterday, I visited a nursing home. While I was there, we sang praise and worship songs. I asked the Lord, how did I get here? Just then, the song, I'll Fly Away, came on. I then realized it all started at a tiny church you and Annette took a bunch of teenagers to. I surrendered my life to the Lord during that song in a little old building in New Orleans. Who knew that might, that night would have forever changed me? I'm not on Facebook. There wasn't an amen. So I asked one of my daughters to find y'all. 
She goes to Colorado Christian University in Lakewood, Colorado. See, Frank, you've touched generations. Thank you for being so brave. You were so young, too. I was, I was 22. All is well with me. I've been married 35 years, six kids, five grandkids. Hug a net for me. Much love, Patty. And then her sister's card comes. Huh? <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to, I, I don't have time, but I'm going to do it. Dear Frank and Annette, my sister Patty and I were talking about, this one, her biblical depth here helps me, talking about how deep the seeds you planted in our hearts and the great harvest that has come from them. I did not plant those seeds deep. Annette did not plant those seeds deep. Jesus planted those seeds deep. He just, he just needed a branch from which some acorns fell off of. I know you received a card from Patty as well. My husband of 35 years and I live in Colorado. We attend a Bible church. have raised two sons up in the word. Our oldest son attends Wheaton College in Illinois. And our youngest is at, at Colorado State. They both love the Lord. I met my husband at Campus Crusade 36 years ago at LSU. So anyway, my boys know the names Frank and Annette very well. I'm an art teacher. And I believe God is using that to be the light and spread his word. God bless you both. I know how deep seeds can grow. And I believe in God's perfect time. They will grow into strong oaks. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Ah. Okay. Ah. So going diminishes, I love this, going diminishes our fear of man and increases our fear of God. That, that's, is that interesting? Growing in, decreases our fear of man and increases our fear of man. Because I find that when I'm fearing man, I'm not finding God. But when I'm fearing God, I am running to God. It's, it's, it, seems, it's, it seems contradictory, but it's not. Biblical fear of God has us reverencing God, has us out of our minds in love and thankfulness to God. Solomon gives us some help here in Proverbs 29, 25, instructing us to fear man less. He says the fear or fear, anxiety, quaking, the fear of man brings a snare. That word snare, there's a, a noose, a hook for the nose, a trap. But the one who trusts in the Lord will be protected. Be protected from what? From fearing man. Fearing God releases us from fearing man. The more I know God, the more I know who he is, the more I abide in him and not abide in the world and abide in the news and abide in everything that's going on in the world. And I allow the spirit of God who lives in me as the vine to let his life flow through me above everything else, I fear man less and I fear God more. Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Greek, to the Jew first, the Greek, for in it, for in what? The gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith because it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. I'm not afraid of telling someone the gospel is what Paul is saying because the news is just too good. 
The news is just too important. The news is just so essential. Was it not essential for every one of us to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel? Of course it was. So is that not, is that no longer true? It's every bit as true. It is every bit as true. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because there's a power in this gospel that is more powerful than 10 megaton uh, nuclear weapons. The power of the gospel saves forever. Jesus said, do not fear man who can kill the body. That's just temporary. Fear God who can send both body and soul into hell forever. Fear him. Church, there's nothing to be ashamed of because nobody can kill us. Really, I mean, you know what I'm saying? This body can go. All they've done away with is this body. They've just done away with this body. And some of us are getting so old, we're looking forward to that happening. I'm not looking at Peter right now. I'm not. Everybody else is. <laughs> Fear God. Look, Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of Holy One is insight. Okay, how many of us want wisdom? Do we want wisdom from God? Well, where's it coming from? Well, if Solomon's not lying to us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How many of I was wondering, I was asking myself this question as I was looking at, at preparing these notes. How many times have I asked the Lord, Father, I want to fear you more. Lord, please give me the fear of you. Have you asked that question much? Probably not. Do you think if wisdom is associated with the fear of God, it would probably be a pretty good idea to ask God for appropriate biblical fear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 11, Solomon prophetically is writing, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Now, you're catching this abiding in this passage here? The fruit of the righteous, okay, Christ is the righteous one, vine who has made us righteous. The fruit coming out of the righteous is a what? A tree of life. Who's the tree of life? Yeah, Christ is that tree. He is that life. And whoever captures souls fears God. Well, that's not what it says, but that's what it says. Whoever captures souls is wise. Because we know the fear of the Lord. And as 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, And knowing the fear of the Lord. You familiar with this scripture? And knowing the fear of the Lord, we do what? We persuade men. I think in my life, I'm able to determine my fearing of God based upon how much I'm desiring to persuade men. I mean, that, just, that just seems to make sense simply through scripture. Going is a declaration that we love the God of love. So right after Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, fear of the Lord causes us to persuade men. 
He says this in the 14th verse, the love of Christ controls us. Okay, what is it? Is it fear or is it love? The answer is yes. It is yes. The more I fear him, the more I love him, because the more I fear him, the more I know him. And if I know him, I'm abiding in him, and I want out of me to flow that sap of Christ's life into this dead world. The love of Christ controls me. That the, the, the Greek there is constrains. In other words, I am so hemmed in by Christ, he is leading me. He's the one leading me. He's the one bringing opportunities to me. Meet the quiet. Okay. We love because he first loved us. That's why we love. And he put his love in us. And, he want, and he's put his joy in us. And he wants our, our joy to be made full by us abiding in him and bearing much fruit and proving to be his disciples. And we can't do any of this without him. If somebody, don't tell me you love God. Show me you love God. The love of Christ constrains me, compels me to those who do not know him. This is a huge part of our discipleship. And we cannot do this without him. We can't. The the great Jewish prayer which Jesus recites to the lawyer in Matthew chapter 22 says, you shall, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Have you ever loved God with all your heart, soul, and mind? If there was a loveometer, okay, just a loveometer, you just cook on your best, holiest day, what do you think that percentage may be? Small, yeah. And this is what's so important. Jesus, again, asks us to do something or tells us to do something, commands us to do something we simply can't do without Abiding. Do you think it's important for us, church, to understand what abiding is? What the Christian life it really is? The Christian life, life in Christ, is abiding in Christ. It's knowing this Christ whose life is now ours. Love God with all your heart. Okay, I can't do that. Then love your neighbor as yourself. I can't do that either. On, but on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what am I to do? Bring up the white flag and abide. Jesus, I can't do this without you. God puts us in that place so that we will come to know him, who he is, where he is, and how he does what he does through us. Because more than anything, he wants us to fall more deeply in love with him. Isn't that what John 15 is all upon? As the Father has loved me... I love you. The entire law is summed up in love your neighbor. How's the whole entire law summed up in love your neighbor? Well, it's only summed up in love your neighbor because if I'm loving my neighbor, I'm loving God. If I'm loving God, I'm loving my neighbor. That verb love comes into action And the life of Christ is pouring out of him into me and through me to a world that needs me. I wonder, who is that somebody? Can you you tell me? Who is that somebody to you? That somebody that brought the gospel to you. What what is their name? Do Do you remember? Maybe they're even in this room today. I don't know. How about you talk to them? How about this? It's Sunday. You got time. How about you call them today? Don't email them. 
Don't text them. Call them or knock on their door and tell them how grateful you are that they were not ashamed of the gospel of Christ and brought the gospel to you. Do you know what that will do in you? That will build the life of Christ, the abiding of Christ more in you. And somehow God will, in his way, make his purposes for your and my life so much more real and not religious dues. But joyful get-tos, not religious have-tos. Okay, I got to hurry. Going is believing, being, and doing who God says we are. I'm going to run through this quickly, but we need to know it. If we understand who we are, if we let the Lord Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, tell us who we are, this will change what we do. If I believe this is who God has called me to be, this will change, I believe, our actions. Okay, Acts 1. God says we're witnesses. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Okay, it, in other words, because you're a witness, you will witness. Because you're filled with the witness, Jesus Christ, your life will, abiding in the vine, naturally, supernaturally, bring that sap from the vine into you and out of you, and seeds will be planted from the church, the oaks of righteousness we are i mean catch this god has called you and me ministers of reconciliation ambassadors of christ we hear about ambassadors and all that stuff ministers of reconciliation ambassadors of christ how cool is that that we're called that that is what god says look at this therefore if anyone is in christ we know this scripture we just don't know what comes after it but it was in christ he's a new creation the old's gone passed away behold new has come All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us. He reconciled us to himself and he gave us something. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. That is, this is what this means. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to, to whom? To us. The message of reconciliation. Therefore, since that's true, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador doesn't tell a foreign dignitary of which he is an ambassador to that country or state anything independently of what he or she is told, do they? The ambassador reports on what they have been told to tell. We are those ambassadors. God has put his truth in our mouths so that we as ambassadors for him declare what the world needs. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God or on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Jesus has passed his ministry of reconciliation which he retains on to us, the church. That's us, church. Don't look at the person next to you and say, he must be talking to you because he's not talking to me. No, God is speaking to each of us. All right, lastly, going, in, going is standing firm against 
the powers of darkness, and this is what we need to hear. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, you were, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, church, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. When we were outside of Christ, when we were in Adam, when we were dead in our sins, we were following the prince of the power of the air. Did it look like it? Did it feel like it? No, but according to scripture, we were. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience was in us. Paul writes, for though we walk in these bodies, in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. We're not trying to win arguments, apologetic-like arguments with somebody. Because all we win then is the argument. We don't win the soul of which God wins through us. He says, we're not waging war according to the flesh. Because, do we... Do you believe this? I find I forget this all the time. The weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. They are not in here. There's a spiritual battle that's taking place. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What's the greatest stronghold that we have to have defeated in our lives? It's called that dominion of darkness, which you and I were held in until God, by his grace through Jesus Christ, kicked open that door and grabbed us and brought us from death to life. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he does. 24-7, 365. That's all he does, church. And who is there to stand against him? That would be us. That would be us. That would be us. Corporal Desmond Doss was a World War II Army vet, uh, medic and a lover of Jesus Christ in the Second World War. He was a conscientious objector. He would not take up a weapon. And he received much persecution because of that. And so he became an army medic. He fought in many battles. One of them was the Battle of Okinawa, and he fought at a place called Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge was a 350-foot high ridge cliff, which the soldiers had to take a rope net and somehow get it up there and hang it so that the American soldiers could climb that 350-foot net, come over the net, and take out the Japanese in this area. As the American soldiers came up, the battle was fierce. Our, uh, American soldiers were being cut down by the scores. Desmond Doss, without a, without a weapon, just his medic pack, goes up with them, and there is a bloody battle that ensues until nightfall. And then when nightfall came, this man sprung to action. Let's watch that video.
he's lowered. Help me get one more. Help me get one more. Amen. Who will be our one more? Church, who is it that God has put into your life? Who is the one more that God has put you in the middle of their lives, in the middle of their brokenheartedness, in the middle of right where they are? so that you will shine the light of Jesus Christ to them, that you will bring to them the, the glory of his life. How lovely on the mountains. How lovely at the ballparks. How lovely at the hair salon. How lovely at the office. How lovely at your house are the feet of them who bring good news. Hell is real people are going there and God has commissioned and empowered us by his indwelling spirit to go every one of us to go and tell them that's what the redeemed of the Lord do because we are the redeemed of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to bring good news. God said to Isaiah, whom shall I send? God says to each and every one of us, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Will we this morning with Isaiah and the myriads of others who love their lives not even to death say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Let's pray. And who is adequate for these things? None of us, Father, is adequate for these things. But our adequacy is from you who fill us, who are our life, who are the vine 
to whom we are attached and from whence we draw life, God. God, how I pray. I will not be the same after I walk out of this door, these doors today. And how we pray, we would not be the same. That we would see what more what abiding is, what fullness of joy is, what pleasures you derive from us, your children, being living like your children. Oh, Father, be exalted, we pray, in your church. You are our joy. You give us your joy, which is the privilege of bringing life to the lost. So that our joy may be full. The joyness that heaven feels when one is found. The joyness, the joy of your heart, O oh God, who came not to be served, but to serve, to give your life as a ransom for many. O oh God, as you have said that, we would say this morning, Lord, we, we live on this planet not to be served, but to serve. And as you have given your life, Lord, our lives now belong to you. That we would live as you would live through us. To the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and respond. Your glorious cause, O God, engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. The cross has saved us, so we pray. Your kingdom come. Sing that verse again. Your glorious cause. Your glorious cause, O oh God, engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. Saved us, so we pray. Your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So this verse your prayer this morning give us 
us your strength, O oh God, and courage to speak. Perform your wondrous deeds through those who are weak. That's all of us. Lord, use us as you want, whatever the test. By grace we'll preach your gospel till our dying breath. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done, so This morning, Lord, that through your work in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, you would give us today, Lord, that one more. Father, would you give us a name this week, tomorrow even, who that one more for your kingdom is? And use us, Father. Give us strength that we lack. Give us confidence that we won't have. Give us the power that we do because the Spirit dwells in us, Lord. Glorify yourself, O Lord, as we bring glory to your name in proclaiming your name, Lord, in our city, in our family, in our neighborhood. Father, use us, we pray.
Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Church, have a good week. Hope to see y'all at the picnic. Lafreniere Park.